Hello from the Global Legal Blockchain Consortium annual meeting coinciding with ILTACON 2018 in National Harbor, Maryland. I'm Amy Bronze. I'm Andrea Tiniano. I'm Kirsten Alvers-Fiedler. I'm Kristen Bartelt. And I'm Corey Goodshow. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today, we're going to be talking about some real-world applications for blockchain technology. But before we get into the conversation, let's just go around the table and get everyone's short bio. Sure. I am a Delaware attorney. Up until the end of last year, I worked for the state of Delaware, and I started the Delaware Blockchain Initiative. I'm also an attorney, but I'm a law associate and legal engineer at Open Law, and we're creating a um, legal agreement layer on the blockchain. And I'm also a lawyer, recovering 20-year corporate and securities lawyer, and a co-founder of Abacos, which is looking to streamline private investing and use the blockchain to support that. Fantastic. So in uh, looking at real-world applications... Obviously, there's there's a big buzz about blockchain and what is it? Is it it's not cryptocurrency? Is it cryptocurrency? Obviously, there's some some disparities in that. Uh, so we're trying to put those rumors to rest. The other aspect that we hear is blockchain's great, it's but what does it actually do? Um, Andrea, I know you have uh, some deep roots in the blockchain space and are pretty well known for what you've done um, in the Delaware space. So maybe you can start out and just give us a little bit of a background on how you started there and where you've seen it go uh, from a real world space. Sure. Well, I was in the state of Delaware and I learned about blockchain uh, as I was trying to identify economic drivers for the state of Delaware. And while I was there, we uh, thought a real-world application would be for corporations to be able to have their corporate um, stock ledgers right yeah. on a blockchain. But at the time, the law, the law was ambiguous because in the law, it actually referenced a corporate officer, a person who would update the corporate records. So that creates a bit of a, um, an issue if you want to have a, a smart contract on a blockchain sure. uh, updating the, the stock ledger. So we sought to have the, the law changed, and it was actually about a year ago yeah. uh, that the, the law was amended. And then this year, uh, additional um, entities, uh, laws were amended. The LLC, Limited Liability Company, Delaware Statutory, um, Delaware Statutory, and, and the, uh, I believe it was the Partnership Act, they were all amended yeah. to um, enable the entities to, to use blockchain technology. Yeah, fantastic. From an application perspective, um, did you have actual physical applications that were developed uh, to enhance, you know, this? You know, um, they were uh, in the works, okay. and then the administration changed, and then uh, there was a bit of a slowdown. <laughs> so, that. <laughs> uh, so that's something that um, I think we see is there are fits and starts, especially sure. with blockchain. People think they're going to use it, and they plan, and then, and then they pull back. So it really takes a lot of perseverance, yeah. and it takes. Uh, foresight, and I would say courage. I'd say courage because when we think about blockchain, uh, we are talking about removing intermediaries, yeah. and we're doing things a little differently. And um, those intermediaries, uh, sometimes they have a lot of power, and so it takes uh, somebody uh, a real with real leadership to yeah. uh, to move forward with blockchain projects. Yeah, you've got to have some staying power in it for sure. I think that uh, you know nobody likes change, um, especially the ones that 
are pretty well stuck in. That's <laughs> stuck right. In it's the it's, space, it's so. the you know it's it's the um, the intermediaries. They have everything. Yeah. Everything to lose and nothing to gain, unless I would say unless. Yeah. They get on board on the early side, and they are the ones that have a lot of industry knowledge and a lot of I agree contacts with you. and. And frankly, those, I think there are intermediaries who are out there and trying to figure out how do they reinvent their role in mm -hmm. a blockchain-enabled world. And those folks who have the vision, who are not afraid and who are not putting their head in the sand, they will come out on top. I agree with you. I, I think that, you know, if you really, if they really thought about it, they're the best suited absolutely to to make the change and to, to innovate. Absolutely. You know, but so many people get so stuck in their own, you know, their own happy place that they think, oh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then it's not going to happen to me. around them. And, they and, and, you know, there have been folks, I think there have, there have been um, enablers in that, in that type of thinking. Sure. Some of the um, analysts have put out papers saying, oh, blockchain is five years away, 10 years away, or wait till there's a, a consortium. Wait till you have several people in an industry who have come together. And I don't believe that's really, really the way it's going to happen. I believe it's going to be one entity or a couple of entities who can create value using blockchain technology and they will go out there and they will do it and then others will follow. I'm already seeing that actually yeah. with Maersk and the, the whole shipping um, yes. uh, applications on the blockchain, but it will happen and it'll happen faster than people think. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that there's, you know, the shipping shipping industry for sure, but I think uh, any sort of supply chain side of things, um, you know, they, they tend to be a little quicker to move a needle um, just because it's money and a little less kind of stuck in the mud. So I, I agree with you. I think that there's going to be some quick movers. And, you know, once somebody jumps in and tells you the water's fine, you get a then lot of people starting to, yes, to jump in. a lot in. of people jump in. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. Uh, Kirsten, why don't you give us a little background on uh, what you're doing, uh, your company, and where you see blockchain moving in the future? Okay, so my background in with blockchain technology is it kind of started with my desire to kind of have an impact on other people's lives. I, I kind of learned about the access to justice gap and, and the issue that people have with actually um, having access to legal services in the United States. And I know that that's kind of, it's not just in the U.S., it's all over the world. Sure. And I think that AI and blockchain technology is really going to have a, a large impact in that and in, in having a dent in decreasing that in the, in the US. And right now, I think it's around 86% of low-income Americans don't have access to legal services. And a lot of data is actually not out there to actually find out who <laughs> really- Who needs the help. Who needs and, the help right. that they actually do. So um, at Open Law, what we're doing is we're automating legal agreements and we're creating a, um, a way for parties to automate the creation and management of those legal agreements. And what we're, we're doing is we're kind of creating a network effect or kind of a network approach to, to building the platform and we're creating um, legal agreements and we're having the legal industry kind of come together and we want to build a community of people to work on those agreements, standardize them, to have people have access to kind of agreements that they'll be able to use that will actually be um, really good agreements instead of someone just going on Google and trying to find something to So you're looking to, to sort of standardize uh, commonly used uh, legal agreements, is that is that correct? What we're starting is we're gonna put like standard legal agreements just that we're kind of building and what our hope is is that the legal community will come together and and help cr make those better mm -hmm. and then um, we're using blockchain technology 
to have the ability to manage assets. And I think that a lot of tokens, I mean, as you said, mentioned earlier, a lot of people just look at it as kind of a currency. Right. But there are so many uses for smart contracts. I mean, smart contracts can issue tokens and those tokens can be non-fungible and really represent a variety of different assets. Yeah. So right now, I mean, you can look at stock or maybe IP rights. I mean, right. there are so many different ways of using the technology that is really, it's gonna cut down cost. I mean, with the legal agreements, what we're hoping is that the costs of actually people using them will go down. And then when you have the, the smart contracts kind of intertwined with that, the, um, the transference of, of assets will be pretty much instantaneous. It could take something that would take months or weeks and really kind of narrow that down. Do you have kind of a minutes. certain uh, practice area of law that you guys are focusing on uh, initially? We're pretty open to, to different areas of law Because I know you spoke right to um, sort of having a passion for access to justice. Yes. Um, and so would your focus be on, you know, commonly used agreements, you know, like lease agreements or things that people would openly have access to, or um, where, where do you see that going? Andrea? I, I was just going to say, um, you know, one area where I think there's a real lack of access to justice is in family law. Yeah. People getting divorced, child support. So I would think that if you were going to create smart contracts to really help people who, I mean, lawyers are expensive. Oh, and, and And you think about people trying to, you know, if they need to get divorced, again, take that would be such a great place to, to get started. I don't, I don't know if that's something you're focusing on, but I would I, think I that would be a, a great, <laughs> yeah, great, great I mean, place to begin. We're, we're looking at a, a broad number of different okay. areas, but I mean, there's, there's a number of different areas that people don't really have, have access. Oh, absolutely. Access to absolutely. And I think that's global. I don't think that that's just it's, a, it's not just a one area. Yeah. 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 Kristen, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and tell us a little bit about what uh, you're doing with Abacos and where you see that kind of moving in the next couple of years? Well, certainly. I think um, we're a little bit at the opposite end of the spectrum to a certain extent. However, I think we're looking in an industry, the private investments industry, where amazingly there are people who are underlawyered. And it's because of the extreme complexity. It's the opposite end of the spectrum. Sure. The contracts, the legal rights and remedies bundle that back up the private investment vehicle or fund really require a massive amount of very high-powered lawyer work yeah. in order to um, render proper legal services. And so we're looking to streamline private investing. The entire workflow is a paper-based workflow with all of the inherent problems that a paper-based <laughs> ecosystem insane. presents, yeah. you know, from inefficiencies and errors. And, and uh, you know, we're in an environment where there's a lot of non-optional tasks and we have a compliance overlay. You do not want to get on the wrong side of the securities sure. law. So um, what we're doing is sort of looking to move the entire ecosystem off of paper and into the digital age. And we think that there are a number of things that if they're blockchain enabled, will really run a lot better. And the three main areas that we're focusing on are identity, security, and compliance. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing to me uh, that in, in 2018 that we are still on the uh, paper trail and you know, you're still being handed a file of, you know, <laughs> yeah. two feet tall of, of paper and the fact that you have no idea what's the original or what, what version it's on. Um, I think that there's obviously a number of different ways and that, you know, blockchain can help in those kind of 
efficiencies? Yeah, I mean, you've got, um, I think, a lot of discussion already out there, people starting to understand self-sovereign identity. Yeah. There are a lot of things that are not um, super valuable pieces of information about you, but things that would establish your ability to invest, for example, that you are an accredited investor. Right. And I think to move uh, back to Kirsten's comment and touch on some of the stuff that Andrea was mentioning, there is a sea change. Mm-hmm. We are, for the first time in almost 100 years, seeing a difference in how this country protects people who are doing private investing. And we are now allowing the little guy yeah. to invest, Reg A+, and you're getting crowd uh, equity crowdfunding. crowdfunding. And yeah. so the number of people participating in private investments has skyrocketed yeah. and will continue to do so. And when you think about the inefficiencies of how it was uh, functioning before with paper, just yeah. turned into PDF, and then you try to multiply it by maybe 100,000 as you know, countries around the world come online and people are taking a very sophisticated approach. You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of an overwhelming thought so, to think about. Yeah, <laughs> I was just absolutely. gonna say, we need to get our infrastructure yeah. on the blockchain using smart contracts so we can remove the, the errors and the inefficiencies. Yeah. Because we all have our smartphones and we- Oh, everything. You know, and, and we expect, you know, we can click and press an app, but um, so much of what's being done in the private equity world is still paper-based. Yeah, I mean, all of it. And, and the lawyers sit like traffic cops yeah, at the intersection in the yeah. of two roads mm-hmm. and have to touch everything that goes by. And Andrea, you mentioned getting the intermediaries out of the picture. I, we have a, you know, sort of this idea that if you're having surgery, you know, there's a lot that goes on and you might be in the hospital for 14 hours, but the surgeon is in there for two hours. Right. You would not want to pay the surgeon to do everything from right. hour one to hour 14. It would be even more exorbitant. And yet, that's really the way in which private equity and private investing works. Yeah. I, have a, I have a question for um, Kristen. I'm yeah, to, absolutely. Yes, which is, uh, I think what you're doing is fascinating. And I'm wondering, are the lawyers excited about it or are they fearful? Uh, they are, I think, the ones who have vision. Um, and Corey, you mentioned this, that, and you did as well, Andrea, that the people who are willing to take the jump uh, are going to win. And one of the things that everybody faces is... Uh, pressure on fees, pressure on costs. And when you're in a very complex legal environment, it's very hard to predict time and cost. And one of the things that I think blockchain enabled private investing transactions will do is allow you to have cost certainty. And sometimes what is more important these days is time certainty. You've got people whose time might be the more valuable component. Oh, absolutely. So, they, so these lawyers might very well be very happy to spend less time um, in, in, using, in a very sort of a higher, higher value yeah. uh, and, and, and less time on the um, more routine and um, tasks. Yeah. Yeah. Task. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you have a lot of non-optional tasks. Yeah. And, you know, you throw in the legal opinion process on top and you've got a lot of facts to check. I mean, blockchain is ideal for providing a sure. relatively immutable record of facts that you can use as that your are already opinion backup, facts. verifiable. So you may even create a uh, opinion letter that becomes a, a, a smart contract tom- template right on the blockchain, drawing information right from that. Yeah, from you that could blockchain. absolutely. Um, and that's what, what we're looking to do is really look to the entire ecosystem and how all of the parties, the sponsors, the investors, and the lawyers who serve both of those cohorts, how do they transfer information back and forth? Because when that gets off of paper and into the digital age, 
some of it is appropriately stored on the blockchain, you know, in a hashed format sure. as a proof of transmission. And some of it is appropriately stored right in on, actual right on that format point. when it comes to representations of ownership of equity. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you and I have talked uh, in previous conversations about how much work attorneys do under the radar, yeah. you know, that are they're not paid for. You know, obviously, as a consumer, you, we think that attorneys make way too much money and they don't do anything for it. And they certainly didn't spend that much time. But, you know, I, I know from, you know, different backgrounds and th- other areas that I've worked in, contracts are in- incredibly intensive. And to have to review, you know, a 30 page contract, you know, you can't charge them. It may take you five hours, but you can't charge them five hours to look at, at a document. But yeah. Yeah, and when something comes into play, then we have a problem. What's really nice, too, about blockchain technology and using smart contracts is the ability to kind of automate specific aspects mm-hmm. of contracts. And when you have that, I mean, when attorneys are spending hours like looking through legal documents, I mean, when you have a smart contract that can automatically execute a provision of a contract, it's actually going to have the attorney spend less time working on that document sure. as well. Yeah, and I think that for, that's a definite consumer uh, benefit on the, on the backside of that. I, I would think, um, obviously I'm not a, an attorney, but I would think that the validation and, and documentation of, of actual hours spent, um, you know, a lot of times you hear that c- customers don't want to pay because they don't believe you've spent that kind of time. So just being able to have that just from a very simplistic foundational layer, a time date stamp of, hey, I, you know, started at X time and billed for X hours or whatnot. I think that's, you know, would put at ease both consumer and an attorney. Well, and it's it's interesting that you say that. I, I, I look to Andrea to chime in here because I think when you write a legal opinion, mm-hmm. the amount of work that you do behind the scenes oh. and then what you deliver, uh, there's somebody I know who says, you know, opinions are not rendered, they're extracted. Yeah. But the consumer or the client gets an opinion and they see a sentence that's an opinion that this is it's a valid. non-public offering or that this fund doesn't, ha- it's not a, you know, public investment company and the amount of work that's done behind the scenes sure. would but, shock people. But I think what, I think what's, what's also really um, quite important in what, what you're talking about, Kristen, is, is the notion that you have this, the data that is being used to render the opinion is all backed up on the blockchain. Yeah. So, and I can imagine a time when you will actually, you'll be able to look at that opinion and click yeah. And click and click and you may see click and, and you'll you'll have all those documents right there connected to that that opinion and so that and this is an opinion and that way as frankly as um, if deals are the same or similar you will be able to modify just briefly and uh, minimally and then re reuse the 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 opinion letter and you'll yeah. you'll be able to um, add new data and render you know, additional Yeah, absolutely. Opinions. I think when you get into the higher dollar transactions and you move out of commercial contracts and into capital markets contracts, you lawyers play a different role. And sure. I think one of the other things which we haven't talked about here is this concept of trust and what the Global Legal Blockchain Consortium is going to do, I think, in terms of providing an environment mm-hmm. where you can actually trust what is happening on the blockchain and, sure. and sort of say, okay, well, is the record good if I'm going to offer an opinion and, and, and base it on this blockchain? Exactly. It's very helpful to know who is maintaining the nodes and absolutely. what, what Where the, the framework is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that's a, an important part of uh, really why the GLBC was founded. You know, when we set out a year ago 
which is kind of crazy that it was only a year ago that we set out to, to form this group. Um, that really was the driving forces. Hey, if we're going to introduce um, blockchain technology, you know, really into the legal space, um, what, what's the most important thing that we're going to have to do? And you can't have an enterprise running a blockchain. It's, it's got to be, you know, multiple sources, uh, you know, kind of tied in together, which builds that integrity and builds that trust layer. Um, certainly within the legal space, um, obviously being, you know, trained inherent skeptics, you know, you, they want to know who, what, when, where, and why, and where is it coming from? So that was a, a really important driving force for the GLBC, you know, just in general. Um, yeah. In looking to the next, I don't know, one to five years, Andrea, Andrea, I know you're working quite a bit in the government area where are you are you are you staying in your lane are you are you no going outside the no, lane I'm, jumping I'm, ship I'm and so yes yeah, so I, I left the state of Delaware I don't work there anymore yep, I and I I have uh, clients that I work with um and um I think we're going to see um solutions and I think yeah. I think we're going to see lawyers using blockchain yeah. we'll be seeing more and more enterprise adoption of blockchain I, I think it's happening and yeah I think, um, you know, I've spoken in to a couple, number of other people and now that obviously with Delaware and some of the other states following suit, I think an important, it's important that a lot of um, jurisdictions are now starting to recognize, uh, you know, blockchain as, you know, Here's you know, I'll, I'll mention, so I, I know that many jurisdictions are looking to change their laws, as yeah. Delaware has, um, and they're doing that. But what I'm really looking forward to is when jurisdictions appoint a blockchain liaison or director to help businesses connect with the data yeah, absolutely. That, that jurisdictions at every level have, because that data, that information can be monetized in ways that we have never dreamed of, and it could be a huge source of revenue. Yeah. for the jurisdictions. So right now, I don't think, uh, I have not heard of any jurisdictions doing that. Right now, they're focusing on the question of how do they bring crypto to their jurisdiction and yeah. how do they get, you know, is, <laughs> yeah. can they have, bring those ICOs to their jurisdiction? Can we jump on the bandwagon? Can we, can, should we, can we bring miners to our jurisdiction? But, but I think very soon, um, innovative uh, policymakers and executives and legislators will consider how do we take the data in a secure way Way, in a way that doesn't breach anyone's privacy. Yeah. How do we take that data and integrate it with industry to create new types of value for citizens and bring new revenue streams new revenue to the streams. jurisdiction? And I here's what I you know marriage licenses, death certificates. Oh, absolutely. There's all sorts of data that people never have thought of um, monetizing. Yeah. But it's it's there, and blockchain can do that. Yeah, I agree with you. Kirsten, how do you uh, see a blockchain being used in the next year and five years that most excites you? I think what really excites me is um, just what can be actually used on the blockchain or like what tokens can represent. I think a really nice use case that we showed was a, um, a tax demo that showed how an employee can be paid per minute and wage withholdings can be taken out of that salary and immediately remitted to the IRS. And I mean, I think currently the U.S. spends around like $4 billion on enforcement activities, yeah. or the IRS does. And if you just think about what impact that would have, if the IRS would know for sure that they would get that money in real time when an employee is paid, there's so much cost savings there, even if you just get rid of the quarterly filings or just paperwork yeah. that just has to be done. And that, that kind of goes for small business owners all the way to like Absolutely. corporate America. Absolutely. Kristen? 
Well, I think, uh, you know, maybe a broader view of, of not just looking at private investing, but, uh, you know, an aspect of that that will have a broader application is corporate governance. And I think going back to what Andrea was saying, when you've got the ability to legally now under Delaware law, maintain your equity ledger, not just for corporations, but for other non-corporate entities like LLCs and limited partnerships, yeah. maintain that ledger. I mean, you've got a lot of questions around transfer of ownership and uh, you've got some companies out there looking to do, you know, T plus zero. And that's all going to be very exciting. But one of the other aspects that becomes uh, possible when you get people onto the blockchain and you get a record of ownership onto the blockchain is you can now, you know, correctly collect votes. You can actually yeah. correctly distribute information. Investor relations, corporate governance are going to be very, very, I would say, a blockchain enabled. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, um, we'll need to change some rules to allow the publicly traded companies to have a a ledger with the actual owners uh, on the blockchain, because right now we have a a centralized system with the depository trust owning all of the, having all the stock certificates. So that that would be something. But I think if we demonstrate value on the private equity side, then the public, um, publicly traded companies, they will come along too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one last question as we wrap up. Um, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about your projects and what you guys are kind of up to, where might they uh, get in contact with you, Andrea? Well, they can find me on LinkedIn. Yes. And I'm Andrea Tiniano. Perfect. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn or um, Open Law has a nice Medium page where we post a lot of stuff about what we're doing. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at K. Fiedler. And I can be found on LinkedIn as well. Um, I think uh, probably the easiest place right yeah, now. Yeah, it so. is. It seems to it seems to be the consensus. So, <laughs> all right, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode. Thank you all for joining me today. Table of super powerful, talented women is always a great table to be at. Absolutely. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you liked what you heard today, please take a moment to rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for the next episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Bye.